this morning, by the way, our message is about the Bible, God's Word, and uh, looking at Psalm 119 and what it has to say about His Word. So uh, uh, we give thanks this morning that God has given us that inspired uh, Word for us to live by. Holy Father, we thank you this day for your love and your grace, for the grace that you have shown us through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate, the Word in the flesh. Father, he came and uh, he uh, affirmed the truth of your Word through the ages. He affirmed that, uh, Father, there is a way uh, to heaven, and that is through him, that he is uh, our life and he is the truth and he is the way. Father, we pray this day that as we explore your word that we would see in there the keys to life, not only life eternal, but also what it means to have a full and purposeful life uh, here on this earth. Father, we thank you for all those who are uh, engaged in ministries of this church. I thank you, Lord, for our our food pantry ministry, uh, for the community center and aisle seven and all the folks who volunteer over there. I thank you, uh, Lord, for all those who who participate uh, in our choir uh, and in leading this church. And, Father, all those who who work with our children and youth. Father, this day uh, we are uh, thankful above all that you have brought us together as the body of Christ to worship you. And may our hearts be tuned to your praise and your praise alone as together we sing. And I'm... Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Please join me in the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the the power power of your Holy Spirit, Spirit, that that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at vanities. Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise, which is for those who fear you. Turn away the disgrace that I dread, for your ordinances are good. See, I have longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tracy. I don't know about y'all, how many of you had a creek behind your house when you were growing up? But I think every child should be given the opportunity to have a creek that they can follow along and play in and get muddy in. My granddaughter Annie has a place she can go. Uh, I think when my daughter picks her up from school, they're uh, out in San Diego where she can get muddy. And when you see the pictures of her playing in that creek, uh, she is as happy as any child has ever been. Uh, when I was a little boy living in Garfield Estates, back uh, a brand new little subdivision of a few streets there in Woodbridge, uh, Prince William was just kind of growing up, becoming that bedroom community for Washington, D.C. commuters and Marines at Quantico and soldiers at Fort Belvoir. And uh, I loved living there. In our, our backyard, there was this long field. It was always the grass was high and tall, and it looked like... Uh, 
straw more than anything else. And you'd, you'd go through that field, and then there was a tree line. And beyond the tree line was a creek, Powell's Creek. When I was young, I loved to get up early. I still like to get up early. I don't know if I like it so much. I just can't help it. I, I tend to get up early. And when I have one of those days that I can sleep till 7.30 or something and just luxuriate in bed, and uh, that's, that's rare for me. I have something in me that wants me to get up. And so when I was a little kid, um, I would uh, wait, especially during summer when we were out of school, I would lay in my bed waiting for the first rays of the sunrise to come through my window, knowing that that was the permission that I needed from my parents to get up and to go. They basically didn't care where I went as long as it was out of the house someplace. So as a little kid, I would get up and I would go out, uh, throw something on, and I was gone for the day. Uh, I, was, I was skinny as a kid. Very often, I would not come back for lunch. And, uh, you know, later as you gained skills, you'd take some hot dogs with you or something and maybe build a little fire and cook some hot dogs. But when I was real young, I'd, I'd follow this creek. And the creek eventually, a couple of miles after it wound through all these woods and all, would come to Route 1, go under it, and turn into this uh, tidal swamp that connected into the Potomac River. But where it was just behind my house, we were on the fall line. So we had lots of little rapids and little waterfalls, uh, uh, slate rocks that you could slide down into the creek. And I remember what I would do as I would follow along every day going a bit further. I would go home and I would get a pencil and my crayons and I would draw a map. And on the map I would mark fallen tree here, any markers, any things that I could recognize as I went along. And in my head, I'm retracing the curves and everything and marking all that down. I wish I still had those maps. I don't know where they are. Maybe in the Smithsonian someplace. (laughs) National Archives. Maps of early explorers of Powell's Creek and Garfield Estates. But as I went through life, I, I recognize now looking back that that need for the maps to guide me when I went back. Now, I could have just followed the creek. I didn't really need But something in me said, I want these markers. I want to be able to recognize where I am as I go along. And I take my little papers out with me. And I could see how much further I had to go. And over time, I came to recognize that that is what the Bible has been in my life. As we travel through life, the Bible has been there just the times when I needed to make a decision, whether to go left or go right, whether to continue on or to go home. It's been there. Uh, When uh, the Bible was written, according to Psalm 119, the Bible's purpose was to give us uh, the decrees of God, to show us the way that God would have us to live so we don't become lost. It's no coincidence that the word lost is used in the Bible to talk about those who have wandered away from God. As if they've wandered away into the woods and their map doesn't cover this section, whatever map they're using now, the map of worldly wisdom and human intelligence, but it's just not able to direct them back to the way that they should go. Jesus talked about the way being wide that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow path that's going to get you 
to eternal life. And so today I wanted to look uh, at Psalm 119 and just, I'm going to share with you just some information about it that I, I just think is interesting. And essentially, if you ever want to find Psalm 119 in a Bible, you essentially just try to open your Bible to the middle. Now, you may end up over in Proverbs a little bit away from that. You may end up in Psalm 118 or 17, but you're going to be very close to Psalm 119, if not right in it. Uh, this is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest of the Psalms. It's 172 verses. And when it was written in the Hebrew, you would recognize it as an acrostic. It would be very interesting to read it in the Hebrew uh, because when we translate it into the English, we've lost the fact that it's an acrostic, that it goes through the Hebrew alphabet as if going to A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And it's broken into sections of eight verses each. And all eight verses in each section ref- begin with the letter that is assigned to that section. So A, every verse would begin with, every sentence is going to begin with an A. B with a B and so forth. Now, of course, when we translate into English, that doesn't work out well. And we've got 26 letters and not 22 letters. But there was a, a purpose behind that. If you think about it, back in the days uh, before Jesus and after Jesus and up until just the last century or so, a lot of people could not read. And so they memorized. People's memories were much more exercised and sharp than they are today. And so they would memorize large sections of the book. And said, In fact, uh, Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 1800s, said, if you're going to memorize anything in the Bible, it should be Psalm 119. Even though it's 172 verses, you should memorize it. But by doing this alphabetical keys, it helped people to memorize because you knew, okay, these first eight verses, I'm in the A's, then I'm in the B's, and it helped you to recall and to move along through it. And this was so important because you wanted to take God's Word with you, and in those days you didn't have a printed Bible. You didn't have it on a smartphone. So the idea here was to make it easy for you to memorize. And the Psalms really are a hymn book. They're just like our hymn books. Our hymn books are divided, if you notice. Hymns are are sorted into different uh, categories. You know, hymns of, of, of praise and hymns to open your worship, hymns to close your worship. Hymns when times are are tough. Hymns when we're celebrating resurrection. Well, the Psalms are the same way. They have the, the, the Psalms that people would sing when they were on a pilgrimage. These Psalms uh, are called Psalms of Ascension because if you were on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you were always going up from wherever you were. Jerusalem was high. It was a mountain. And so as you ascended the mountain together with your fellow travelers, you would sing songs out of the psalms, and you would memorize them and know them. Uh, we sang a song earlier, we're marching on to Zion. That's exactly what the type of song they would have sung, because Zion was Jerusalem. We're marching on to Zion, beautiful city of God. And so this psalm, written by most likely a priest named Ezra, who came about in the time when the temple was being rebuilt after being destroyed by the enemy. 
and, and the people were trying to regroup and come back to their faith in God because they'd been drawn away by the cultures around them into worshiping other gods. And Ezra the priest was bringing them back. And the first thing he wanted them to know was that the word of the Lord is precious. More precious than gold and silver. That the word of the Lord, his, his, his commandments. In fact, in the first, very first verse here, he has a number of different words that he uses. The Lord's instruction. God's ways. God's decrees. His statutes. His commandments. His righteous rules. He describes the word of God in many different ways, but he wants them to know this is the foundation for who we are in our faith in God. And that this is precious. I'm going to talk a little bit later on to give us an an example, something to kind of test our minds a little bit about just how precious is the word of the Lord to us. Uh, To the priest Ezra, it was his life. And so, uh, as we, as we go along through here, I, I want, I want to just share a few verses that you may recognize, um, from this psalm. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. If you've ever wondered about your adolescent children, how can they keep their way pure? By listening to the word of the Lord. By hearing that. As I did when I was a kid and went to church and we have kids, we have vacation Bible school, we have Sunday school, we have places where we want to plant the seed of the word of God because that's the way they can keep their hearts pure. We used to sing a song in the church I grew up in. It was called, How, How Can the Young Secure Their Hearts? Which is from that same verse. How can a young person uh, keep their hearts from wandering? And that's still a challenge today. How can we do that? Uh, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hidden, hidden your word in there. I mean, I've, I've got a place there where, where my mind and my impulses can go and your word will direct me and it will keep me from sinning against you as I hear that word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. We sing that song. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So often we think of law as dry and dead, but here it's a living law and it has a connection through all the scriptures from the stories in the beginning all the way to Revelation. We can see the law of God, the precepts, the teachings, the will of God, how it does wonderful things. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Isn't it interesting that commands can be seen as something that sets your heart free? Have you, have you ever uh, recognized that rules sometimes do not hem us in, but they protect us from things that can hem us in and enslave us? We most often have a negative view of commandments and laws, but the commands of God actually set us free. Your word or thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We sing that song all the time. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. And finally, great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Ezra loved the law. And these psalms reflect that great, great love. So it's obvious that the overall message of Psalm 119, in fact, almost every verse in Psalm 119 is directed towards praising the law. Mentions the law in some way. Uh, 
It's obvious that that is the central truth of this psalm. It encourages us through every generation to stay close and focused on his word no matter what swirls around us in in this world. I was uh, taking a class up at Wesley Seminary in Washington, D.C., and a pastor from up north, uh, I believe it was Connecticut, uh, she said she struggled with getting her congregation interested in the Bible. And she said, what do you do? Because uh, she could tell the people from further south tended to be more Bible-centric. They tended to uh, have that more as a center part of their preaching and their teaching. She said, what do you do to get them to do that? And I said, well, first thing I would ask you, when you preach, do you preach with the Bible as the center part? Even if you don't quote directly from the Bible, is the Bible at least the in- inspiration for what you're preaching? And she, kind of, she said, well, not really. I tell stories that I hope will make people live better. I said, do you have a Bible in the pulpit when you're preaching? Even if you don't reference it, is it at least there? No. And so I said, well, the thing is, if you don't seem excited about the Bible, why should your people seem excited about it? Why would they be excited if their own preacher doesn't really show that enthusiasm? So I said, so you have to fall in love with God's Word. I don't know whatever happened with her and with that church, but I think that is is so absolutely true to the revival of the church today. The Bible has to become uh, the center point of our thinking and how we proceed and how we conceive of God. It reminds us, this psalm, that God's word is powerful and living and active, that it never changes because Christ never changes. Christ is the same today as he was yesterday and as he will be tomorrow. And God's word is the same. Isaiah talks about this. It's commonly read at funerals that uh, the grass fades, the flowers wither, but the word of the Lord stands forever. When we look at uh, Jesus Christ, uh, we see that the word of God as described in Psalm 119 is the same as how we regard Jesus, that the word is righteous, Jesus is righteous. Uh, The word is faithful and unchanging and true. All the things we say about Jesus Christ. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see a Savior who constantly references Scripture. I think that goes past a lot of people. They think Jesus is just talking off the top of his head. He's coming up with new ideas. It's the teachings of Jesus. But Jesus almost always bases everything he says on Scripture to the point that when he is tempted in the wilderness, you know, to turn the stone into bread or, or to throw yourself off, you know, the pinnacle of the temple and test God to see if he will save you. Uh, to, uh, uh, he was taken up into a high place and he was shown all the kingdoms of the world and the tempter, Satan said, all of this will be yours if you will just bow down and worship me. You can have everything. And every time Jesus answers him, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God, it is said. It is said that man does not live by bread alone. All these things are coming from the Scriptures. When Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he's referencing Scripture. You have heard it said. When he is tested by his enemies, he constantly references Scripture. Don't you know that the Scriptures say? He would say to them. And then when he's on the cross... He quotes scripture constantly. So if if the scriptures were so important to Jesus, why shouldn't they be important to us? 
I've talked about a movement out there. I read something the other day and somebody said, I'm not a Paulist, I'm a Christian, meaning I am not a follower of Paul. So I don't pay attention to the letters that Paul wrote in the Bible. And yet Jesus said to his disciples that I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And what you speak and what you say will be through my Spirit and will have authority. And so those letters of the disciples, those letters of the apostles, the letter of the 13th apostle Paul, we believe to be inspired. And to, by the very word of Jesus, have authority in our lives. But we live in a world where people are trying to discount parts of the Bible. Well, I don't like that part with all the wars. Well, I don't know I like it, but the fact of the matter is the, the Bible wasn't written for a popularity contest. God didn't say, I just want to write things that are soothing to people's ears. I want to see them to see the reality of the world. We've got wars in this world today. There were wars back then. That sin is sin in any generation. And that the answer is the same in any generation. And so the Bible is a book of reality telling us exactly how it is and how it will be. In my own life, there have been times when God's Word has played the central role in leading and strengthening me. As a child, as I said, I went to church. Memorization of Scripture was important. Uh, Bible songs that taught you about Scripture was important. Uh, vacation Bible school, I'd usually go to my own churches, the Church of Christ, and to the Baptist Church, and uh, uh, which uh, ours, uh, ours emphasized a lot of yelling. My, my church... The big thing about vacation Bible school was boys loved the fact you could come into the sanctuary, which on Sunday was a little bit tamer. But every song we ever sang in the sanctuary, we yelled it. Okay, they were strong, strong singing boys back then. Uh, I think I mentioned a song once to you guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wonderful lyrics, easy to remember. But we would yell, Shad. And, and of course, you're trying to overpower the girls because that's the main point in life is to outshout the girls. And then once you're married, they'll outshout you. But uh, in the meantime, you got that opportunity. But as a child, uh, that church was big on memorizing. and, And I think that those verses helped to keep me out of trouble. I did get in trouble as a child, but they helped me to understand why I was in trouble and how I was supposed to live. And they gave me an understanding overall, I believe, that life has purpose. That's the one thing as I reflected back on my childhood was I always believed that life had a purpose. And the Bible helped me to understand that. When I was 18, it was the Bible that determined my future path. I, I remember staying up and reading the Sermon on the Mount over and over and trying to, to make these decisions about my future and, and college and, and the Marine Corps and, and, and various things. I, I'm trying to figure all this out. And it was the Sermon on the Mount that made the final determination. At 19, uh, God's Word led me to a Bible college in Nashville. At 20, it led me to ask Lydia to marry me. Now, that means that Lydia can blame God uh, for being stuck with me. And the other reason was I just couldn't get her off my mind. Uh, still, 40-some years later, it's the same. I'm saying all this because my mother-in-law is here, and I want her to. 
And it was the teachings of the Bible that led me to become involved in homelessness ministries in my 20 and, and different things that became passions for me uh, in that time period and, and things I was concerned about in the world and then led me to go on mission trips to Haiti and down there to see how God was active and alive in the people of that island in a way that he didn't seem to be up here. It was the Bible that... Uh, that guided the business that I was part of, a family business. My parents had a business, Golden Rule Press. You can see right there, Golden Rule. Uh, my, my parents uh, had a strong faith. And so what we did and who we contributed money to and all was guided by God's, God's word. And then it was the Bible that, uh, that picked me up out of the pit that I went into when my mother died, my first parent to die, and uh, just overwhelmed me. But it was Scripture that brought me out finally, Psalm 91. And then it was Scripture that helped affirm my call to be a pastor. People were saying, maybe you were supposed to be a pastor, which was the way people in my life were saying, we'd like for you to move away and go someplace else. No, I'm not kidding. But it was God's Word that was affirming and doing all of this. So when we say that God's Word is active, it, it, it has been active. I have seen that. Over and over and over. One, two, three, four. I'm missing pages. Let me see. Okay, short sermon. No, no, here we go. Okay. I'm on the last page here, folks. Now, I have here, I thought this would be interesting. Because in Psalm 119, in Psalm 19, it says the same thing. Psalm 119, it says that uh, God's word is more precious than silver and gold. Psalm 19 says it is more precious than silver and gold and sweeter than honey. So I I like that one, being a beekeeper. But I, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting for us to think for a moment? I have over here a Bible. And I have over here a $22 trillion bill, okay? $22 trillion. Does anybody know what $22 trillion represents? Our national debt, yep. <laughs> so it's a real number. And if you took $22 trillion and you converted it into dollar bills, $22 trillion bills, and stacked it up, it would go all the way to the moon, And then you could put another stack right beside it, and another stack, and another stack. It would take five stacks of of dollar bills stacked all the way to the moon to equal $22 trillion. It would be 220 tons of dollar bills. It's a lot of money. But then we have over here a Bible. This is, let's for a moment imagine, this is the last Bible on earth. It's the only surviving copy. And you've just read in Psalm 119 that it is more precious than silver or gold. So the the author of Psalm 119 is is, is encouraging us to choose God's word over worldly, worldly riches and success. Now my question here this morning is, if I told you, okay, this stack... This $22 trillion can be yours. But if you choose that, this lone remaining copy of God's word will be destroyed. 
And there will not be nothing on media of any type, nothing remaining in the world of God's word. And you can have the $22 trillion. And even if you spent half a billion dollars a year, if you live 50 years, you'd still have money left over for your, for your children to inherit. It's a lot of money. It could fulfill everything you ever thought you wanted. Not necessarily everything you ever needed or wanted, but it, what you think you want. You have that power, right? Think about Jesus. Here's all the kingdoms of the world. They can be yours. Just worship me. So my question is, how precious is this to us? Do we really believe that if the Bible did not exist in the world, that the world could survive in any sense, in any way, with any uh, moral compass, with any agreement on where we have come from and where we are going, with any sense of hope? We are in a world, in a time, where people are giving up hope. They're taking their lives. They're lost. And they have all these resources available to them. But this is the one that has the power. And we should not underestimate that power. So I'm going to take my $22 trillion because I know nobody is going to take it. You're all going to choose the Bible, right? It doesn't count for me, by the way. I can take the money and it's all right. But you see what I'm getting at? Sometimes we say things, we sing things about how precious God's word is to us. But what if we didn't have that word? What if we could choose between the world and that word? Because we do that all the time. But the writer of Psalm 119 believed with all his heart that the only hope for Jerusalem and the world was that word. And so this morning, I just invite you to, uh, to consider that this week, to pray about that, to go to Psalm 119 and to read through it. It's just 172 verses. Uh, uh, by the way, if you want to remember that, okay, did I do it right? Eight, it's, uh, how many chapters did I say it had? Anybody remember? Hmm? Okay, or, or, or sets of verses, eight verses each, into 176, I believe it is, 176. How much would that be? 22. Okay, 22 sections. How many letters in a, in a Hebrew alphabet? 22. You see how it all matches up? So you remember there are 22, one for each letter of the alphabet, times eight verses is 176 verses. And you'll, you'll remember that. Does anybody know how many, uh, I'm getting uh, a little off here, but how many uh, books are in the Old Testament? That's in the Bible. Okay, 39. Okay, and three times nine is what? That's how many books are in the New Testament. So if you want to remember, just remember the 39 for the Old Testament, and then that the three times nine equals the number of books in the New Testament. There are all kinds of little... I was talking about memory keys earlier, things to remember things. I don't have a great memory, so I need those sorts of things. And sometimes I have to try to think a little bit before I remember how it all works. But uh, uh, it's not that hard to memorize Scripture. And and, uh, Ezra encourages us 
to put it deep into our hearts. So I pray this week that you'll work on a program or some way that you can uh, make a commitment so God's heart, uh, God's word can live in your heart and guide you and strengthen you uh, through every every uh, situation that you encounter. We're going to sing a song. Uh, if you're this, here this morning and you feel your faith is weak or you have no faith, the scriptures tell us that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Open up the Bible. Open it and begin to read it. Uh, trust in God. Uh, seek someone to help to guide you if you need that. But I believe that God's word is powerful and living and that word can guide you into a place where life has meaning and purpose. And most of all, you have that gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Go in his peace, know his word, and know the joy in it. And amen.